Welcome to VPG's virtual water cooler chat podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Let's get started with today's episode of Virtual Water Cooler Chat, Trailblazing Ethical AI with Shauna Hoffman. Shauna is the president of Guardrail Technologies, a leading tech company focused on enabling responsible technology. Shauna previously served as the chief technology leader, legal strategy and operations of Dell Technologies. Prior to Dell Technologies, she was the ServiceNow Technology Workflows Manager and Predictive AI Ops Federal Lead and was at IBM in Digital Transformation and Strategy, in positions that included co-leader of the Global Watson AI Legal Practice. She is a sought-after artificial intelligence and blockchain subject matter expert and has spoken at the United Nations at Blockchain for Impact 2018 and the UN Data Forum 2020 and 2021. Shauna was appointed chair of the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission's CFTC Distributed Ledger Technology and Market Infrastructure Subcommittee for 2018 to 2020. In 2019, she testified in front of the CFTC on blockchain privacy and confidentiality and on the current state of blockchain adoption. In 2017, she was awarded the Certificate of Leader Development in National Security and Strategy by the U.S. Army War College. As she gives back to her local community in Orlando, Florida, Shauna co-founded and serves on the board of directors of the Community Hope Center of Osceola County, which has helped over 100,000 homeless individuals since its inception. Hello, Shauna. Thank you so much for joining us today on Virtual Water Cooler Chat. I am really, really appreciative of you taking your time and sharing your expertise today with us. Oh, thank you so much, Ashley, for having me. Well, you are, you know, pretty big deal in the industry on responsible AI. And I knew that you had done um, e-discovery before. That's actually the reason why I know about you. I think we share a contact, a common contact of someone by the name Greg Hudson. Yes. Oh, Greg. Greg Jihad. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing man. He used to be with like an e-discovery company and I used to be in a, um, well, I'm still in IP, but, you know, I used to work in IP litigation. Yes. So Jihad used to be like running us our discovery documents. And sometimes we had to work so late and I have a team of young people and then we're in the basement trying to figure it out and get our deadlines met. And he actually deliver donuts with Red Bull, which is really major heart attack for all of us. I don't do this, but the kids love it. So you know, his, his legacy lives on. He had such an amazing heart. And actually it was his birthday. I think yesterday I saw that his wife had, had um, noted that about him. And, you know, there it's hard when we have so many greats in the industry and they, you know, he definitely is a beautiful place in heaven. Uh, he's was such a good man and, you know, such a great story about his, about what he, you know, did for you all. And what an amazing memory. Just, I loved working with him let's get into the meat of this discussion and of water cooler chat so tell us a little bit about shauna 
So my name is Shauna Hoffman, as you know, and I'm the president of Guardrail Technologies, and it's a responsible AI company. I've been in AI for about a decade and a half after being in the e-discovery industry with you, and I moved into AI because I actually thought AI was going to be my answer. Uh, when I was in e-discovery and um, as an expert witness, I was always asked by various attorneys and judges, did you collect all the data? And as the expert, I wanted to come in and say, yes, we collected all the data, but literally data is everywhere. And so I could never say yes to that, that question. One of the last cases I worked on in e-discovery was, I think, the largest still um, MDL, so multi-district litigation in the U.S. We were all over the globe um, collecting terabytes and terabytes of data. When I was asked that question... I unfortunately said no again, and I vowed to myself that day um, as I walked out of the courtroom that I would find an answer, a way to answer that question, yes. And I saw Watson, um, which is an AI program from IBM, win Jeopardy, and I thought, oh, this is my answer. I'm super excited about this. So I moved to Watson and my first day, I was very fortunate to meet a senior vice president and I did not know any better. Um, you know, here I was a big fish in a small industry. Well, I became a small fish in a big industry. You know, IBM has over three at, at that point at over 350,000 employees. Didn't know any better. So I had built out this whole business plan, planning on building this uh, this division called Watson Legal. And the senior vice president I met, he said, Nice to meet you. Tell me about yourself. And I said, well, here's my plan. And here is what I would like to build. And he just, I think, you know, in, um, you know, I, I look back and I thought I probably today wouldn't do that knowing what it's like to now be in a big company. But my, uh, my being a newbie worked out beautiful in that situation. So he ended up bringing me, you know, taking me under his wing. I learned a lot about IBM. I became his chief of staff. And then from there, he taught me a lot about the corporate finances. And then I moved into building out a division with uh, my co-leader, Brian Kuhn. And so we had our division for many years as we built out AI programs for attorneys. One of the things that we saw over and over again, and even though uh, Watson was extremely um, mature uh, as we started growing with it, you know, it had been around for about 10 years, we still were having issues with hallucination and um, the AI, because AI is built and it has been since the 1950s to be an augmenter of the human and to make us happy. Well, unfortunately, the way that it's been built, all different types of AI, um, except for the analytics. We'll talk about that in a sec. But an AI that works to augment the human is going to try to make the human happy. So often it will hallucinate and give you answers that you know make you happy, but it's really not real and not truthful in the end. So when I started to see generative AI and other tools coming out of the marketplace with the same issues we used to have, we put guardrails around um, those AI programs that we had built at IBM, and I'm not seeing that in the marketplace. So myself and a, a group of PhDs, I actually joined them. A group of PhDs had founded this company about five years ago. I joined them to help uh, kind of reposition them in the marketplace. They've got amazing tool set. Uh, that we're taking out that will help put responsibility back into the AI programs. That's amazing. I definitely want to learn more about what Guardrail Technologies and the actual name of the company is so descriptive about what you guys do. So I wonder how did the founder actually come up with the name? So actually, I ended up rebranding the company. Because 
the original name, it was kind of funny because the original name was so S-O. And I said, well, what does that mean? <laughs> and they said, it really doesn't need to mean anything. And I was like, you know, I really would like a description of what we're doing. And so we went back and forth, the founders and, you know, in the employees and I went back and forth and we're like, what are we really doing? Well, in the end, we're safeguarding, we're guardrailing. We're not telling the human what to do. We're not making choices for people. I am a hundred percent. I believe in freedom. If you have, if you want to believe a lie, you know, not you specifically, but if anybody wants to believe a lie, that is their choice to do that. I believe in the, you know, good old American freedoms, but I I believe that everyone should have the opportunity to have as much information as possible that backs, um, you know, their choice. And if they want to make whatever personal choice they want to make, they can. Uh, So guardrails will allow really a good safeguard around the information that is either put in or received from chat GPT. So for example, um, the masking of data that's going into chat GPT so that it can't be used by the bot to train itself. You know, we, we've seen some issues with um, some of the big companies out there like Samsung, where their employees were uh, just putting into various different generative AI, generative AI actual code from Samsung into um, the generative AI. And it was using it, of course, as a training module. Now, it's not supposed to do that, but you really don't know, you don't have safeguards on something that you don't own. And unless you have safeguards from your end before it goes in, you've got, um, you know, you have some risks that are are there. I'm so glad that I stumbled around uh, along this question because branding is very, very important. As it's really letting the marketplace know who you are. And sometimes it takes a little to come back and ask the most sense, I mean, the most obvious but sensible question, what does so mean? <laughs> you know? yes. So I'm glad that you do this. Um, I'm going to share with you a little bit about the background of VPG so you know how the company's name actually came about. So January 2020, I decided to start my company. And at the time, the name was going to be Virtual Patent Paralegal Alliances. Mm-hmm. And the state of Virginia, or the Commonwealth of Virginia, the State Corporation Commission, did not accept the name because they didn't like the combination of Paralegal Alliance for some reason. But I actually did my due diligence. And I had clients actually knocking on the door and say, hey, when are you starting your business? Because I really want to hire you. Because I've been in the business for 20 some years. So people know and they knew that I was going to start. I'm like, hey, got to start an LLC, make sure that I have my liability issues set up, you know, right first, right? So then I was really stressed out because I could not use the company's name that I researched on. And then really it's due to, I mean, over frustrations and everything. I went online dictionary with a friend and then we just went like brainstorming. And I was like, I would like to take this up to a sci-fi direction. So mm-hmm. through Merriam-Webster, Galaxy, nah, you know, and then gateway. Hmm. So I look at the claim construction definition of what gateway means. So I'm like, well, I am virtual. It is relating to patent. Uh-huh. So how about we put a gateway to this and basically I- having the opening so I thought that when you talk about guardrail technology, I thought that's a really clever name and it's so descriptive. So kudos to you and your team. 
Thank you so much. Well, and it, it is interesting to hear from others what they think that um, our company is doing. And I had a CIO of one of our large hospital systems call me and he's like, well, I need to guardrail everything I have. And, and really what ended up happening was we built out a consulting engagement around what parameters he really uh, needs in the industry. So I, the wonderful thing about working with PhDs, and I'm sure you see the same thing from, from your perspective, is they have such breadth and depth into these areas like no one has seen. I mean, you definitely see that in the IP area where <laughs> it's a, it's impressive. And, you know, as I took it back to the team saying that this is what they're looking for immediately, they're like, oh yeah, we've done this. And then they have, you know, amazing frameworks and things that they've built out throughout the years to back their PhD studies. Pretty impressive. Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you as a woman in STEM. How did you come about doing what you do? You know, weirdly to say, I probably started in second grade. <laughs> so my journey started back when I was little. So I was a bit competitive when it came to grades. And there's a little boy in class. His name is Scotty. And Scotty and I used to compete for the top grades in the class. And, um, you know, we would one up each other on like spelling tests and things like that. And uh, Scotty would disappear once a day. And I was like, what, you know, where is he going? Well, I finally asked him and he very proudly told me to the computer room and how only the smart kids get to go. So of course I ran up to the teacher saying, well, I want to go to the computer room also. And she goes, no, you, you don't, you really don't. And she's like, go outside and play with the other, with the other girls. The uh, unknowns to me, all the boys were starting to be trained on computer systems and the girls were being sent out uh, to go play in the playground. So I asked enough that uh, I finally asked her one day, I said, well, can I just go to the library then? So I went to the library and I checked out every book that I could find on computers because I wanted to understand why I couldn't understand them. So I had a stack of books higher than my head and I came home. My mom's like, what is this? And I said, well, I need to understand why I don't understand this. And I went to my room and she you know, wasn't paying attention. So I just remember putting all the books down, reading them, devouring them. And um, I will tell you, I, I still didn't understand why I couldn't understand them. And my freshman year of high school, I was finally given the opportunity to take a computer class. And I was the only girl there. And I was a cheerleader on top of that. So pretty much every day there was a game and I would have my little cheerleading outfit on and all the boys. And it was nice to get a lot of help <laughs> on coding because here they'd all been coding classes for years and it was my first year starting. And it really sparked a career for me in technology. But again, even for my, um, for my first degree in business, I went business instead of technology because again, you know, females were not really accepted in the arena and it was just really rare. Um, and I was told, oh, you'll, you'll make a great COO. You'll make a great lawyer. You'll make a great, I was given kind of the list and technology was never on that list. Even when I took those tests we used to take in high school as to what career should you have, it was always business, but um, definitely not doing what I do today. I'm really glad that you shared that. And I think it's so important for women to hear other women being resilient and not taking no, not accepting no as an answer, especially these days. I mean, nowadays, there's, I think the environment is much more supportive. But in the old days, you know, it's like it's so much more difficult. After Watson at IBM, I know that you also went to Dell. Can you talk yeah. and as a chief technology leader? So they didn't make you a CEO, they make you a CTO. 
or city leader. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I had an amazing opportunity. Um, I had worked prior to that, but so between IBM and Dell, I had worked at ServiceNow and uh, Dell was, of course, a, a client of ServiceNow. And I knew that they had uh, some needs when it came to somebody supporting them on the ServiceNow side. So I moved into a position as a chief technology leader for legal strategy and operation. And we redid and kind of rebuilt out their entire ServiceNow program for legal, which was an amazing opportunity to really see how platforms work from that client perspective versus when I was working at IBM and ServiceNow, you're um, supporting a client on them. Well, here I was the end user, which was really amazing and and could make um, some nice changes uh, that I was hoping to see uh, with the system. So it was a great opportunity. I, I I really felt like, though, if I didn't jump into the responsible AI pathway that I had been on at IBM, even though I was at Dell, they're not Dell wasn't doing as much in artificial intelligence. I really felt like if I wasn't going to to join the AI revolution that's happening right now, I was really going to feel like I missed out. And so I'm happy to be where I am today because I will tell you, I wake up every morning. I am excited to be at work. I'm thinking about it through the night. I actually even had a dream a couple nights ago about having a conversation with one of our uh, programs that we've built. And I thought that was just kind of uh, kind of funny because it's neat to have a chat-like program that can have a conversation with you. I mean, that really is a rare thing. And I enjoyed that when I had IBM Watson. And now I'm really enjoying that as we're building out the guardrail products. Now, I am just really intrigued as to what guardrail technologies does. So one of the things in order for me to prepare this I actually went through the website and looked at the educational component training. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So we have um, an educational component to our company um, that we have is called Guardrail Foundation. And we have a group of PhDs who are, many of them are professors that we have gotten together to build out educational materials, everything from really understanding AI uh, and what it is, what it encompasses. AI is just not one thing. It's not just a chatbot that talks with you and is kind of smart. Uh, it can be everything down to some really advanced programs like like neural networks and and others. So we have um, training from like that 101, just getting to know AI all the way through the more intensive subjects. Uh, we are we have a framework that, we're, that um, we've built out for competency. So if somebody needs to understand if they're, they have a readiness assessment or some sort of, am I ready to be, to, to bring AI in-house? What do I need to do? What tool sets do I need to have in place? So we've got a program that that does provide that. So the educational component is really key to the industry. I, you know, for me on, um, and that's our freebie, our give back to the to the world because I think it's so important to have that. It's really a for social responsibility. Yeah, I think that's CSL basically. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And uh, well, the only reason why I actually know about this is because during my early years of um, VPG, uh-huh. I had a lot more free time than I do now. But I actually took some webinars, and one of them is on it's actually from uh, Simon Sinek's platform, and I love his books. Yes, and do. you do awesome. So I have actually taken like several of Simon's classes from other educators or thought leaders. And one of them is from um, a guy by the name uh, Sasha Strauss. And he has his own company in LA 
and it's, uh, he's the founder of Innovation Protocol. So he taught me a lot about branding, you know, and we even held a virtual water cooler chat um, where I interviewed him or chatted with him. And that was my very first time of doing live LinkedIn and Facebook. And I am deathly <laughs> afraid of public speaking. So I was yeah. like, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> And he's not going to let me fail. So, and after that, I was like, oh, didn't tag. So I guess I could do this. So somehow at the end of that podcast, he was like, you know, Ashley, you're the right person to like lead this podcast. And like, so I talked to my event pro and I said, maybe we should do a podcast, focus on women empowerment. She was like, yeah, why not? So that's how this all began. The giving back to community component is so key to even our own fulfillment, I feel. Yeah, just giving back to society. My Growing up, my dad always said, you have three jobs. You have the one that pays you, the one that gives back, and then the one that you love. And most of the time, at least in my life, the three has been totally different, you know, where, you know, the, the one that makes me money uh, is AI and, uh, you know, my career in e-discovery beforehand. So some, some sort of emerging technology and sometimes things that people haven't even quite thought of yet for some reason are spinning in my head. Um, and then the give back, uh, I've got, you know, homeless services program that I've built out, women in e-discovery. I have also diversity in blockchain and now Guardrail Foundation. Uh, and then the one that I love is mom. <laughs> That's my favorite job. I mean, I it's I definitely would have to say it's a job. They're you know alive. <laughs> sure that yep, they're they're moving forward and they're doing well. That gives us a really great segue. Now you have three children, Alexia, Remington, and MacArthur. Yes. And each of them are so accomplished. So one of the things that I have seen um, when parents are super successful. Sometimes it gives a lot of pressure to the children to mm-hmm. thrive. And it could go either way. They could be exceeding your expectations. And other times it kind of will go the opposite. And in your case, since like that they went a very successful route, do you have any tips for parents on how to raise successful children? Thank you. Thank you. I, I would have to say, um, some of it is by the grace of God (laughs) where you go, Oh, I hope this is going to work. Um, you know, I think for me, my parents were really, um, really great role models. And my dad would never, ever get upset with us, but he would always ask us, how do you, you know, how do you feel about that? Um, do you think that was a good decision? And so I ended up role modeling that to my kids too, to where, you know, we have more discussions than anything, but they also do know um, my son yesterday, my 17 year old said, you know, mom, you know, you, you allow me to have so much freedom. And he was, thank you for that. And I thought, well, that's awesome. And the next phrase for, uh, that came out of his mouth as I said, well, you're, you're welcome was, and I know that I will never do anything, which I thought was very kind of him to say, never do anything to have you doubt that. And I thought, thank you very much. <laughs> Cause that's a totally different conversation when you start to have some of those doubts, I think with your kids, um, you know, with, uh, with my three, I've been a single mom for most of their life. And I've just taken them under my wing. I'm like, if I'm going to learn AI, 
you're going to learn AI. If I'm going to learn blockchain and cryptocurrency, let me show you this. And what's been fun is the kids have really enjoyed it. So my oldest daughter wants to become um, a, a robotic surgeon. And she's been working with CRISPR-Cas9. She's done some really cool stuff. Yeah, she's like groundbreaking. She even blows my mind um, with the things that she does. And then the middle one is a cryptocurrency miner. Um, not too happy right now because crypto's kind of down. So he was telling me, mom, you know, what can you do for me? <laughs> I'm like, well, let's learn AI next. Um, so he's been doing some work for me uh, on the AI front. And then my youngest wants to be in robotics engineering. So again, he's been, uh, he's actually been doing some interesting things with the VEX robotics where he's, um, he's learning AI so that he can get the robot VEX robot robots to actually do things on their own. I think a lot of it is just keeping the the lines of communication open. And instead of freaking out about anything they do, you just go, how did you feel about that one? <laughs> How'd that go for you? I remember, actually, this is funny. I remember telling my youngest brother, my mom had sent him out uh, when I lived in DC. My mom sent it out, him out going, I don't know what to do with them. He was getting himself in horrible trouble. And I had him work with me over a summer and I got him all dressed up in a suit. And he came out um, to client meetings with me and everything. And he's like, well, this is what it's like. I'm like, yeah. It pretty much is. And I said, so if you're going to do anything stupid, do it before 18, because after that, this is what life looks like. <laughs> so he came back and actually graduated early. And now he's working uh, in a technology company himself. So it's kind of funny um, how things go full circle. But it, it was a good summer to to have an opportunity to to affect his life also. I really like your style in terms of how conversational this has been. And I'm going to share a little bit of, I happen to be coming from a very autocratic family, mm -hmm. Chinese-American, right? And I am not a woman in STEM. I was political science, East Asian languages and cultures could not be any more opposed to like what I'm doing right now. So one of the things that I thought that was interesting um, when I went to GW, I mean, I got my master's degree in East Asian languages and cultures, studying uh, intercultural negotiation. And I wrote a thesis on that. And when I finished my thesis, and I did not really, it was from University of Kansas, when I finished, actually someone from Raytheon bought my thesis. It was the VP of, um, I think Far East or some uh, Far East Asia or something like that. And I was like, so flatter. I was like, what? You want my thesis? But it's really interesting how life sort of bring us to different stopping points. I, I want to say maybe like an overlook so that you could kind of use your previous experience and set up your transferable skills yeah, and then take you to the next level. And so for me, for example, now you have been really resilient in, you know, just going to learn the computer. I'm like, I will stay away from the computer lab. Yet I work with all of this really super genius, you know, PhD. And honestly, sometimes I am amazed at like how I even survived in the business for so long. But I think that it's really important to have people to believe in us because sometimes we don't have the confidence in ourselves yet. A lot of time, we don't talk about it, but there are so many people, even with very successful parents, they still deal with anxiety, 
yeah. you know, maybe depressions, especially with COVID. A lot of people are not able to communicate with others. And that's one of the reasons you're giving back to society in terms of the education and leveling them up to the technology so that they can actually help themselves. So I don't have any children. I chose not to be married. I do have to do reverse parenting of um, my mom. Well, she cooks me really good food, so that's well worth it. <laughs> but my family is everything to me. And it was really hard during litigation life, not being able to spend the time needed or in the right mental space. And then my dad passed in 2017. He has been a very interesting person. He's so stubborn, but yet he tells me that I'm not stubborn, I'm principled. Like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> we we're immigrants from uh, Hong Kong. And so we left in the, in the 1980s. And we came to the state not really speaking that much English. And I really do admire my parents. They don't necessarily have intellectual upbringing, but that sheer courage to basically build a life in a land that they don't even know. It was really inspiring. We have not been blessed with money to start out with everything. And so we really have to work hard, even with education. So I think that um, that is one of the reasons why I wanted to make my company. And I, I'm so glad to see that Guardrail is also doing the same thing. Yeah. And for me, it's like having a generation innovation. Sometimes it drives me insane. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> but you know when things like click, hold on, I was like, oh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and to see also their use of technology is very different than our use, but then our use is different than the younger generations. Yeah, um, you know, one of my friends was telling me her parents use ChatGPT, they have downloaded it, they use it as an app, and they literally ask ChatGPT where they should go for dinner like a magic eight ball. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I was like, that's actually kind of funny, but you know, everyone uses it differently. The thing is, it will be really interesting to see where the, the Gen Z and then the young, even the younger generation to take this chat GBD and also generative AI to that next level, because it could be used for good or evil. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, the evil part is what scares me. And, you know, I hear all the time, Terminator this, Terminator that. I am not worried about that yet. Yes. <laughs> I think we're still seven to 10 years off of that. What worries me is to have people um, who have bad intentions come in to uh, easily manipulate the AI to manipulate everything from elections to, again, what you eat for dinner. You know, if someone was starting to train the AI in the wrong way and no one was policing it or watching it, it could easily get out of control. And so, again, needing guardrails around AI systems is just extremely important so that you have knowledge. So if that does happen, I mean, I I, I am always concerned 
with different systems uh, that do like social scores, et cetera. And right now with generative AI, there's a really um, easy opportunity for a bad actor to come in and manipulate the AI where it could totally destroy somebody's reputation with a lie that it just continues to confidently use over and over again. I guess that's why we have guardrails. That is true. It, it is absolutely well. And we are, um, so we will be live August 1st, which I'm really excited about. Uh, we're just uh, putting new uh, pretty user interfaces on some of the technology we have had for years. And uh, we'll have, be out to market uh, at that point. We have a freemium model, which is fun. And so everyone can use this to see where ChatGPT really came up with uh, the answers to your question. So what was that original source? Where did it start? How did it come up with this information? Something that's really odd to me is in general, here's some stats to throw out there. So ChatGPT was trained on, they say about 46 terabytes of information, okay, of data. Now, Google right now has about 17 terabytes of data in Google that has been indexed. So that's only about 5% of the deep web. Now, another... Uh, about 5% is the dark web. So let's just throw that stuff out. There's a whole lot of information out there though that we don't know what ChatGPT was actually trained on. So it was way beyond Google, way beyond probably anything that search engines have indexed. So it's very interesting to see we've got a bit of a black box of data that we don't know. And again, it's getting retrained by just the questions people are asking. So robots get smarter, the more you ask them questions, and you kind of lead them down paths, those paths could be very wrong. And especially if you have um, other bots going in and trying to manipulate the system, you start to have something that could be out of control. So again, the Terminator doesn't bother me as much as um, a bad actor getting in and, and or actors and really causing havoc with spreading disinformation and lies. Looking a little bit forward, and one of the things that is really interesting when you talk about how blockchain as a technology to help reduce like human trafficking. So here's what's interesting. So blockchain is is excellent for transparency and traceability. And so the goal with blockchain is to allow corporations to have an inside track on where, um, for example, their supplies are coming from. And so let's let's look at slavery. Let's look at you know that um, direction of human trafficking where it's like forced labor. Well, often corporations will know, let's, let's take a car manufacturer. They'll know maybe the first to second level of um, supplier, but who did those suppliers get supplies from? So it could go down to what we call the nth level to where they may not know that in the end, and society wouldn't either, that um, maybe there's some place that is providing one of the pieces and parts and they're being uh, being developed and created by um, people who are in forced labor camps, et cetera. And so with blockchain, you can start to have that traceability and transparency all the way down to the end, even down to the molecule of what is being created. And um, that's helpful for many different levels. It definitely is something that um, meets the UN requirements for the sustainable development goals. So the UN SDGs blockchain is a great, beautiful supporter of that. Um, again, transparency traceability is what blockchain is for. And um, everyone, you know, in the entire supply chain, uh, then can easily with an app be able to check it in, check it out. uh, And you'll know where all the pieces and hurts came from. 
This is so cool. I learned so much. Um, let's wrap this up. I'm really glad that we are going to do the Fantech Titan, um, you know, yes. uh, upcoming panel. It's so awesome. Oh, and these are amazing. I mean, they are the top of their fields and I am very um, blessed to call many of them very close friends. Yes. And you actually, you introduced me to Deepa. Um, and she is yeah. such a sweet woman. She is amazing. Yes. yes. I got uh, the wonderful fortune of um, being on. So she was the attorney who was in charge of our AI ethics committee at, uh, at Dell. So it was great to be on her committee. I learned so much and was able to share um, a lot of the good, the bad, the ugly of our, my experience in AI so far as we were building things from scratch at IBM was fun. So the question that I have is what advice would you, you're sort of in the top of your career, what advice would you give to younger women or men, it doesn't really matter, practitioners that are trying to break into STEM? Mm -hmm. And also, what are some practical advice would you have for them to get in, survive, and also level up? You know, I think my practical advice would be kind of what you said too about education. Every morning I am looking to see what's new on podcasts, what's new on YouTube, what's new with the news. My AI news feed is all my AI news feed is actually an AI news. My news feed is all AI um, right now, especially, and it was blockchain for years. Uh, so it's keeping up, having just even that in the background as I'm getting ready in the morning. I minimally will listen to 10 minutes of I love Simon Sinek, but someone who's motivational and then another uh, 10 to 20 minutes, mostly usually 20 on what's new and what's out there in the news, like what's breaking. Um, and then I'll do, I kind of dive down my little deep rabbit holes as my kids call them, where I start to ask a ton of questions because I want to understand further um, whatever new is in the news or especially new with, uh, with AI right now. You know, I think in general, one of the things that I have had happen in my career is people trying to change me. Oh, if you did this, oh, if you did. And I am really glad that I was raised the way I was, that everyone should be their authentic selves. And I think we're seeing that more and more as being something that is promoted instead of everybody becoming like each other, you know, we're accepting now people who are different in the marketplace, which I absolutely love. So I would number one, say, be your authentic self. There are passions that you have. My passions for AI and this weird stuff that's awesome now was not awesome 10, 20 years ago. When I was first getting into it, we even tried to bring out something that was very advanced analytics. It was kind of that cutting edge AI back in the early 2000s. And no, but they're like, this is pie in the sky. I'm like, it actually is working. So we were some of the first to market with some of these new technologies. And, you know, you're, you're being seen as weird, but it was my weirdness <laughs> and it was okay. And now my weirdness is cool. And I get to, you know, be president of a, a really cool company that I believe is going to make a big difference in the world. Uh, but again, being your authentic self, um, I think I would just add one more piece of advice. When somebody tries to get you to manage others in a way that you don't feel comfortable with, do not do it. I have also had through my career that people wanted me to be harder on people than I am. And I am very much a servant leadership. I'm going to jump in the boat with them. We're going to go together. And I do not want people crying on my teams. <laughs> if people are crying and they're not happy to come into work, 
I, I would feel like the worst leader out there. Um, so for me, uh, really sticking to the guns, leading people as that servant leader, being in the boat with them was so important. I think leaders like that, um, once people get up to the top are very far and few between. And I'd love to see more young people breaking through whatever ceiling that is that's causing people that once they get above it, they kind of turn into jerks. And um, we've all been there. It's like the higher people get, or I don't even know how they get up there, um, you know, and uh, they're just not kind to people, you know, and they're really managing up and managing more towards people above them versus actually having a heart for people below them, um, which, you know, we're all in the same boat um, together and we should just be working together to make this world a better place. So if I was to, to say those few things, um, those are near and dear to my heart you know, as, uh, especially as a leader too, because we're humans, gosh, we've got to be here together and for each other. You know, I have done my share of mistakes as a leader, as a follower and, you know, on a team sometimes is that I tend to really people please earlier on in my career. So now you know that certain things may not work out, but at the same time, you also have to resist the temptation of telling them what to do because they will resist it, right? And, you know, and how do you actually communicate and get that innovativeness from them and kind of hear from that fresh perspective, yet cultivate accountability? Yeah, and I mean, it, it kind of comes down to just even my dad's phrase of how did that work out for you? Yes. And just listening because it's so much better than just getting on top of someone and going, yeah, that's not going to work. What I've been amazed by is because of some of the new technology, the things that I didn't think would work are actually working great now. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait, that does work for you. But yeah, it is a very, it's it's awesome. It's a very different world than uh, the one we had when we were younger. Yeah. My cousin, actually, um, she studies at Sorbonne in Paris. And I don't know what, what school is she in right now, but she's studying like marketing. And um, that girl is like really, really smart. And she actually got accepted for an apprenticeship at Google in France. And so it's like a one year program. And she asked me for some advice. So sometimes I would like brainstorm with her, but it's so good because she was like so on point in terms of like basically letting me know the yeah. other version. But I think this is where your authenticity comes in. You take what is applicable. And in the end, if we have actually helped someone else, that's all the better. So Thank I love you. what your dad said. It's like get paid for what you do, love what you do, and then, you know, and then give back to the community. And I'm really glad that you and I connected. Thank you so much, Shauna. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ashley, for having me. And I look forward to speaking again in a few months with the other Femtech Titans. Oh.